Welcome to the Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today is Miss Judy Harris. Welcome, Judy. Thank you. It's so good to have you here. Josh Humphreys is out on something. I don't know where Josh is, but he's out doing something important. And uh, so today, Judy is here with me as we look at some amazing passages in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, We spend some time in the Psalms. We go to the Gospel of Luke. Um, Just so much to unpack. I hope you have been doing the Bible reading, but if you you haven't, then stick around. We're going to talk about some of the amazing things that God unfolds in his word and then answer some pretty crazy questions from the book of Deuteronomy. If God doesn't want us to have, didn't want the Israelites to have a king, why did he tell them what to do with the king? And if God didn't want them to intermarry, why did he give guidelines on how to intermarry? But uh, anyway, we're going to look at those passages and deal with them and much, much more on this edition of Understanding Jesus. Now we're going to take a look at some passages that stood out to us as we went through our Bible reading and things we drew from it. I will go first, and then Judy is going to go after me. So, and then I'll go again, and then Judy will go again. So that's kind of how that's kind of how it works. But I, I want to start in Deuteronomy. Um, because Deuteronomy, there's a couple of sections of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is is just an amazing book in that you have Moses getting ready. It's it it is akin to me. It's not. I don't think it's on the same level as John chapter 14, 15, 16, as far as because Jesus is doing one thing, but it's similar in scope to me because that was so important in the Gospel of John because that's when Jesus is saying is getting ready. We know that Jesus is getting ready to die. And so he's sitting with his disciples, and he's saying, here are things you really, really need to know before I leave you. And Deuteronomy is like that. Moses is getting ready to leave. They're going to pass the mantle on to Joshua, and it's like, okay, let me go over the things that are most essential for you to know and understand. And in Deuteronomy 18, he's 18, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. This is God talking to Moses. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in my name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. Now, in the New King, in the King James Version, uh, it capitalizes prophet, but really it's not a capital P prophet in this, in this use, really, um, because it's not, I understand they're saying that this is a prophecy of Christ, and while it, it is ultimately Christ is the prophet, the, the end of prophets, um, of this line of prophets, uh, just like he's the end of the line of the kings. Um, he is, he is setting up this, I am going to raise up regularly prophets within the nation of Israel. And because there are many prophets who go between Moses and Jesus, um, you know, you have like Samuel, for instance, and Elijah and Elisha and, and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these, all these are prophets who God raised up and who did, who did put his word in them, in their mouth, and they did speak it. And anybody who did speak that which did not come to pass he said, don't be afraid of those people. Well, the opposite is kind of inferred. You should be afraid of them 
if they are saying that which is coming from me. And that's kind of, when you think of the mantle of prophet, I, I like Elijah, because that literally is, is he takes the mantle and passes it off to Elijah, and we see that transition. Um, and he has this power that, uh, I mean, he gets in the face of kings. I mean, he, he himself becomes afraid of Jezebel and so forth and hides and so forth. And so you see he's human and he has weakness, but he's still extremely bold in, in the confrontations, that, you know, the confrontation on Mount Carmel and so forth. And he is speaking the word of God. I mean, he says, I'm going to call fire down from heaven. And, and he does. He calls fire down from heaven and heaven comes down. So you, he shows that he is this mouthpiece of God. And, and so um, uh, I think Elijah sticks out to me because at the transfiguration, it's Elijah and Moses who are there with Jesus. So to me, two of the most pronounced prophets. But, the, um, but Jesus is the culmination of that. He's the one who comes and, uh, and ends that line. Um, there is a gift of prophecy that's, that the New Testament talks about, and and it is, a, a, I think, the ability to proclaim truth and so forth. But but just because um, there uh, you know there is are, there are some people who say that the gift of prophecy has ceased, and 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 we have to be careful when we talk about things like this because I think we all agree, I hope we all agree, we should all agree biblically, there is no new revelation. So it's not like that if you spoke as a prophet, these guys were given the word of God, and when they spoke it, it is the word of God. It is a word from God. It's infallible and inerrant uh, because it's God's word. Uh, But when we talk about the gift of prophecy, I think there's also inherently in that the possibility that this God could give a a vision of something that's going to come to pass to someone. And so, say, for instance, he says it's going to rain next Tuesday and gives that word to people. For whatever reason, perhaps his people need to know that it's going to rain next Tuesday, and so he speaks that. And so, if it comes to pass, obviously it was from God. If it doesn't come to pass, then it wasn't from God. But the um, but the greater thing, I think, is just when there are some people who have the ability to proclaim truth as already revealed, meaning that they're just simply sharing that which is in the Word, but they speak it uh, as uh, as an authority that has been filled with the Holy Spirit and. And I think you have um, the, the apostles demonstrate that they had these moments where they were full of the Holy Spirit and they would proclaim truth. And it wasn't necessarily a new truth. It was just sometimes they're just proclaiming the truth that's already been revealed. And I think God has used that through time. I don't think the office of prophet, I do think that has come, that Jesus ends, it ends with Jesus. But uh, but the gift of prophecy, I do believe it's still uh, at least possible, um, but would demonstrate just God simply reveal. If we understood it from the perspective that there would be no new revelation, and before I turn it over to Judy, I did want to look at another passage. In I wanted uh, to ask you, a yeah, question. Yeah, can I ahead. ask a question? You can throw it in there. So, um, they talk about the age of the judges and the prophets. Mm-hmm. Were those two separate? Because it seemed like the judges were also prophets at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Samuel, for instance, would have been a judge and a prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Deborah. The, the. Deborah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Well, one would be uh, the judges were not necessarily prophets um, because Moses set up judges uh, to uh, to judge the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, a, it was a position that had a different function. So, yes, it's kind of like uh, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He serves all three of those roles. And so, yes, Moses also was a judge and a prophet, um, but uh, each is distinct in its own category, but one person could hold both oh. both things. But there, but God is just saying here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue the line of prophets, 
I'm going to continue putting my word into the mouth of people amongst your brethren, that I'm going to raise people up out of it. So, and, and he's saying that so that you will expect that. You will not doubt that God has already dec- decreed that through this person who's obviously shown that he is the mouthpiece of God, and he says, there are going to be others now who come after me who do the same thing. And, and similarly, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, 19, it says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stra- stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he, did not f- and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. And this stuck out to me because I thought, you know, here you have this idea we have of to forgive and forget. Um, that idea, obviously God's not supporting that argument here. He's saying, do not forget. Remember, and uh, and it, uh, there's some things to remember. Is to know. First of all, first thing to remember is God is a righteous judge. So when we talk about judges, that God is the righteous judge. And so he does empower people to serve in the capacity of judge, not in our age, but in this time period. So, um, and he does it. Now he, uh, and his judgments, uh, the other thing they remember is his judgments must be carried out. If he does ask his people to carry out his judgment, then he expects it. Now we know through Christ, he's told us, I, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to carry out these judgments. He says, I'm going to be the avenger. I'm going to be the one to come and bring this about. We'll participate in it with him at that time. But he specifically tells us, I do not want you to be taking on this role of judging other people and carrying out these judgments. That's not what your calling is. It was the calling of these people. It's not our calling now. He did raise up Israel and say, I'm going to use you as executioner, basically, to carry out these judgments. But he's not telling us that in this um, in this way now. Um, and three, sometimes sometimes he uses us to carry out his judgments. Um, and and it, and not saying that it can't happen, but it is not our purpose as a people. Now, when I say that is, is yes, I do believe that he allows uh, armies, militaries, people to uh, weather and so forth. Satan, I believe he allows Satan to do certain things because God has decreed judgment against a people, a group, a person, and so something happens, and it is an act of judgment. And when people ask the question, I think sometimes we're too quick to say, do you think God is judging us? Is This was an act of God's judgment when something bad happens. I think we're too quick to say, no, 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 God's merciful and so forth. It's, it's like, yeah, God is merciful. He is loving. But he was merciful and loving here, yet he carried out his acts of judgment. So it's very possible. I mean, it's it's not something you can just take off the table. Yes. Could 9-11 have been an act of God's judgment? It could have been. Could Hurricane Katrina have been an act of God's judgment? It absolutely could have been. So it's just, it's not fully knowing uh, because it would be in line with what he has done in the past uh, as far as that goes. And we're always worthy of judgment. You know, I think the fact that we're not judged regularly is just grace and mercy. And I, I wonder, uh, you know, there's a difference in judgment and accountability. Yeah. I think we are called to hold each other accountable. Yeah, as the church, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so that's kind of that judgment role, sort of, but not really. Right. It's, it's a different right. twist to it. It is. The church has not been called to carry out judgment on the world. Right. 
yet. True. There we will be at some time, but that is at the end. Uh, but I do believe he raises nations up and uh, and armies of the world, yeah. just like he did with Assyria and with uh, Babylon and with Persia. He raised it says he raised those armies up. He empowered them. They were pagan, but he used them to carry out judgment on the people around him. And uh, and he used Israel to carry out judgment on the on the nations within the promised land. But uh, it was not that he was taking the land away from a people because he didn't like them as much as he liked Israel. He was casting judgment on one group of people and then giving it over to Israel, that which this group of people was not worthy of it. So he's taking it away as an act of judgment, giving it to Israel and tells them, if you'd act like they did, I would do the same thing to you. You will also be judged. And he did. did. He judged them and then took it away. So it's the same, same deal. And then the other thing that comes out of that is we are not righteous judges. <laughs> Therefore, we cannot judge others ourselves. Um, uh, the judgment. Saul, who who um, was asked to carry out this judgment on Amalek. I mean, here you have in Deuteronomy, God saying, "This is what you do." Saul has the opportunity to, and God and tells him, "I want you to destroy him and destroy the king. I want you to destroy all the inhabitants. I want you to destroy all their stuff and not keep any of the spoil." It's complete total judgment, and Saul doesn't. He he spares the king. And he keeps the spoil and so forth. And so Samuel comes in and says, God is, he said, and he says, to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. A very famous quote. Um, and then he goes and kills the king himself. You know, it's like in, in zeal for God's will to be done. Um, and uh, and so, it, but it just shows we are, we don't, they, Saul didn't get to choose. It's not, Saul is acting as though it's his judgment. That I am the that he is the one who's making the decision whether this person lives or dies, and it's not Saul's decision. He's just supposed to carry out God's will. And the same is for us. We we are not making those judgments. Or we are never to judge other people on our own. We are simply just to be obedient to God and do what He tells us to do. Um, and uh, and so, you know, when we when we forget, um, when we are when we do not remember God's, like for instance, when we look at the world, we are not to carry out judgment against them, but we are to remember they are to be judged and not to forget that. And when we forget that, then we set ourselves up to be tempted by them and we wind up falling into the same. When we forget that they are under judgment, we begin to worship their gods and we begin to do the things that they do. And, uh, and so that's why God's like, no, 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 no. You remember that they are dead. These are dead, and, and unless you want to be dead like them, then you abstain from the things that they do, and you avoid them. Avoid, you, run, you flee immorality. And evil. Now, the expectation is yeah. very different. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, that's just uh, some stuff from, before we move on from Deuteronomy, I wanted to take time to look at those things. So, Judy, what do you have? Um, I'm going to start with Psalm 23. Let me read it in a different version. Actually, it's Psalm 37, 23 and 24. And it's just kind of comfort verses, I think. Some people have comfort food. Hopefully, this is comfort food for your soul. It says, a person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed, because the Lord supports him with his hand. 
And I just think, man, I need to hear that several times during the day because I fall a lot and, um, and it can be overwhelming. I mean, mm-hmm. you think, oh, did I do this wrong? Did I, you know, you second guess things. And uh, just to know that the Lord supports me with his hand. I think it's just a personal, I mean, God is so personal to yeah. us and loves us so much. And so I just liked, just like that. I thought it was very comforting. It is comforting. Yeah. I, and I, and always love how, and I think that's one of the things that we forget about spending time in the word. Sometimes God just wants us in the word to comfort us, not to just, I get so focused on what am I learning from this and what is, what more knowledge can I receive from this? But sometimes it's just meant to be a word of encouragement. Yeah. And so, and even here it says that um, my steps are established by the Lord. I mm. mean, so those bad things, those hard things, those hard places, mm. they've been established too, but I'm not to be overwhelmed because yeah. he's there right with me. We used to pray that for our kids. We'd say, God, help them to walk in the path that you have prepared for them. And just one, and that was kind of a twofold thing. One is that they would uh, walk in the path. <laughs> and two is that God would help them in that process, that he would support them and encourage them. And they wouldn't be discouraged as they did it. So, uh, But he does He does have a path for us to walk in. So, awesome. Cool, cool, cool. I want to look at a, a passage in Luke. Um, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, just a very simple thing. He says, um, and this is very unusual for me because normally when I am reading through, uh, I'll write down three, four, or five verses that really stand out to me. And uh, and this time it was just one simple verse, but it really was poignant. It says, so the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? And and I thought, what a what a potent question, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and, and in the context, you know, you have um, people asking John the Baptist, he's calling these people to repentance. And the question they're posing to him is, well, okay, yeah, we get it. We're wrong. We're evil. Uh, world is bad. But, so what are we supposed to do in response to that? And, and when, we hear, when we hear the word, when, when our hearts are really open to the word, and this, I, I, I think of this about when, uh, when I'm preaching on Sunday morning, if you know that this, in order for the sermon to be good, in my mind, people have to ask that question at the end. It, it, it needs to be, at some point, they need to hear the word and go, well, how do we respond? And, then the, and that needs to be answered. People need to walk away knowing what to do after they've heard. At first, it first should bring the conviction that we should do something. And then I think the counsel of God's word should tell us, okay, here's, now here's how you respond. Um, that's and, what the invitation's all about, right? But here's this was what was stuck out to me. When they asked this question, John the Baptist didn't say things like "trust God with all your heart" or "put your faith in oh. Jesus" or "believe in Jesus." He said, "Take care of the poor, don't take advantage of others." And I thought, what a! It was such a practical response, and you know, to 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 be don't be unethical at work you know do do the you know don't don't steal from people and and don't cheat lie deceive and so forth and jesus also said when he was jesus was preaching said this is how i'm going to distinguish whether you are following me or not he says i'm gonna 
distinguish my followers from the people not following me by the amount of compassion that you have for the least of these, my brethren, the people who, you know, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and and sheltering people and, and visiting them when they're down in, in prison. Um, these are the things. It was it was in loving others. And he didn't just say to love others. And Jesus said, he said, you need to love other people as I loved you. And, and, and the bulk of what we're reading about in the Bible is this is how God loves us. So this is how we should be taking care of God all through the Old Testament is extremely clear. You take care of widows and orphans. It's just it never. And when they weren't taking care of widows and orphans, Jesus himself rebuked them. You know, he said, you're you're not doing the very clear thing that God said to do. You're trying to find ways not to honor your parents, you know, and take care of your parents. And he said, this is just evil. That's just you purposefully not doing what God put us here to do. Uh, and repentance moves us to be made right with God. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon us and shows us um, our need to be, uh, our, our, how we love other people. He gives us a desire, and then he gives us the means uh, by empowering us. So in response to what shall we do then? The answer is to love others as Jesus loves us and trust that only he has the power to make us capable of doing so by forgiving our sin and granting us eternal life and making us holy so we can house the Holy Spirit within us. That's uh, that's that's the good news, is that we we have to be, he wants us to love others. We realize we're incapable of loving others. We we need to come to the point where it's like, I want to do this, but I can't do this without God's, uh, God empowering me to do so. And then believing that he can empower me to do so and then taking advantage of that power through obedience. So, yeah. It's really a heart thing because even when you look at that next verse there, mm-hmm. it says the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. So he's not even asking you to like sacrifice in a big way. Right. It's Very just, practical. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Obviously, clearly, you can do this. Yeah. So you should do this. And it, it does. It reflects what's in our heart and uh, and the selfishness and so forth that we uh, possess. You know. When you yeah. Examine and, that. And you have people coming through like the tax collectors. And he's saying, well, should we stop being a tax collector? And he's like, no. Just don't cheat people. Just take yeah. what you're supposed to take and yeah. don't take more than that. You know, right. don't, don't, don't abuse it, you know, yeah. and that he's saying that is what, that is what moves in the, the heart of God. Now, this was, uh, the idea was, is that the Pharisees believed that by them being righteous, that this would usher in the age of the Messiah. And, and they were, they were right in that this is what John the Baptist is preaching in order to prepare the way for the Messiah, in order to prepare our hearts to receive uh, the Messiah, we need to be thinking in terms of repentance and desiring to do that, which is God. And this is what God does. It's, it's really going back to the law and saying, we need, you need to have the desire to fulfill the law. Then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you will never be able to do the law the way it needs to be. So you, you need some, that's why you need a savior, you know, someone to pay the penalty of, of you disobeying. But but you also have the desire, you have to want want to be perfected. You have to be want to be changed. And, and here's something that's just really just I have to rinse in my head over and over again. When you and I, you and I are supposed to live like we believe heaven is going to be. Meaning we are supposed to be interacting with one another as though we, be, as in the way we understand and believe as scripture teaches us that we will be, we will be interacting 
when we get into heaven. Meaning the way I talk to people, the way I love people, the way I look after people, this is how I believe heaven will be. You and I, as followers of Christ, that is, because that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus' interactions with us are going to be the same way Jesus interacts with us forever. And will never be any different. So you and I interact before Jesus. We interact as people in a fallen world. So when Jesus changes us, we should now begin to be interacting as we will be for all eternity. And so when you come into a church fellowship, it should be a picture of this is what heaven is like to the world. And you can see how far off base we are from that. Well, we're, we're, I've, I've experienced that. I have been in moments of fellowship where I thought, this is what heaven will yeah. be like. This is a sweet yeah. time of fellowship. But those, those seem so fleeting and uh, because we are still in a fallen world, and it's very difficult to maintain that. But, uh, but that's, what, that's our goal. That's what we're striving for. And I think Christ even warned us of that would happen in the church. There yeah. would be those tears. And, yeah, absolutely. And to be on the lookout. It but should, never it should make that. it stand out. It should make a person stand out as being a tear or unsaved or whatever, which is why he put church discipline in place. He said you should confront someone when they are not acting as though they are. That You should take that seriously because they could be lost. I mean, that's why you're taking it seriously, not because you hate them, but because you're trying to expose whether they actually are a true follower of Christ. Because if they're a true follower of Christ, then they'll repent. You right. point it out and they're like, ah, you're right. You know, I shouldn't have been that way. I, you know, I apologize. Sorry, I, you know, I see what you're saying. And, uh, and I see that in the church all the time, in fellowship. But if they're not a follower of Christ, you're not trying to point it out to go, aha, you're evil. Uh, but to say, friend, you are lost and, and going to be damned if you don't repent and change. And I don't want to give you the illusion that you're okay just because you're hanging out with all of us. Because when Jesus comes, you won't be hanging out with all of us. So... Anyway. Yeah, it really is all about re- reconciliation, mm. first with God and then with your brother. And yeah. sometimes that that brother thing has to be repeated over and <laughs> over. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next one uh, I have is in Luke 6, 1 through 11. And, um, you know, the Pharisees took the law and added to hmm. all these these regulations and like they didn't get enough <laughs> early on from Moses. So they added all these things on. And you see that uh, in the discussion they have about the Sabbath in 6, 1 through, let's see, 5. And then Jesus even goes further and heals on the Sabbath mm. and then kind of confronts them about that. But um, I think it's really interesting. If you think about the Pharisees, they thought they were holding to a higher standard. Right. But Jesus really holds us to a higher standard with that new covenant. And, you know, it's it's like, you know, if your brother asks for one thing, you give him double that, basically. Right. And I just, uh, I just think it's interesting that sometimes we want to hold to the to the letter of the law, hmm. and I'm very guilty of this, and forget about the spirit of the law. That it was about love and re- reconciliation, and not about legalism and doing things a certain way. Hmm. And uh, I just that's something that I have to remind myself of. 
there is a reason that we we do things a certain way as long as we've had this Pastor Troy and I had this discussion I think last week about um you know there is a purpose for it but if that in any way detracts from what Christ intended for us to be and to do then uh, we need to re-examine why we're doing a certain thing or have a certain uh, policy or procedure or whatever. Right. And so that kind of just, it, it's just interesting to think that the Pharisees just thought so highly of themselves and they had they had all these extra laws. But, but Jesus, he was simple. You know, love God, love your neighbor, and you got it. Right. The, yeah, the the um, book Desiring God that John Piper wrote was um, um, powerful in helping to because it, it, it highlighted that we shouldn't just want to obey God, the letter of the law, but if we really love him and we really desire him, that that's kind of the to help us just understand a baseline. It's kind of like any any use the illustration of when you're married. Um, and if you go home to your wife and say, happy anniversary, I didn't commit adultery, so you should be happy, <laughs> uh, because that's what the Ten Commandments commands me. I've obeyed, the, I, I've, I fulfilled the letter of the law, that she's not going to be overjoyed by that. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and, and like, here's the, you know, I was told I need to buy roses, and that 12 was the correct number, so here are the 12 roses <laughs> I owe you. Um, you know, that if we have that time of relationship with God, then we really aren't really in love with him. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not the passion of our heart that there need, that, that he made us that way. He made us passionate people and, and with these desires and so forth. And so it's, it, it, so you, you never look at this is, this is what I have to do. It's more of, uh, if I'm doing that, I obviously, I know I'm off base and so forth, but it needs to be much more than that. So. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, Judy, I'm so thankful that um, you're here today. And uh, miss, even though I miss Josh, but I'm glad you're here. And uh, we're going to come back. We're going to deal with some questions that we got from the reading. There's a lot of questions, so we'll just deal with a few um, as we, uh, when we come back. Well, we are going to tackle some questions from the book of Deuteronomy, and as usual, they're difficult. They're not. They're not easy. But hopefully, we can get a grasp on because it's just a you know living in a different time. Um, the um, I think that um, it's hard. What makes it very difficult is we're going way back into a different culture and looking at things from a perspective it's very different today than it was then and trying to make sense of but with the thing that makes it challenging is that these are things not that Moses is saying now I've had people ask me that are you sure that God said this <laughs> is this Moses just making it up um, but when it says the Lord said it's the Lord saying it and so we have to deal with those kind of things and so um, that um, okay so then we go we we go on so anyways let's start with the first one so um in Deuteronomy, I have trouble saying that, 17, 14 through 20, mm-hmm. it gives guidelines for a king. Mm-hmm. And also in 21, 10 through 14, uh, it gives guidelines for marriage to a captive woman. Okay. And so my question is, God clearly did not want them to, 
to have a earthly king because he was king, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I know he was king, but right. I don't think he wanted them to. And he had told them not to intermarry with the, right. the people around them. So why would he give us God or give them guidelines for these things when he had told them not to do it in the first place? Right. The um um the uh okay. Let me start with the king thing. One is it's a great point. He actually doesn't say that he doesn't want the people to have a king and doesn't express that he's upset with the fact that they desire a king. It expresses that he's upset that they want a king just as the other nations have a king. And so you have this conflict mm-hmm. with the Philistines and and where God is leading the people. Uh, we know ultimately that God does intend for us to have a king. It, 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 that would be like saying that King David was not part of God's plan, but he was. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart and so forth. But uh, Saul was the, um, but he's saying uh, their motives were in the wrong place. They were desiring something uh, that like the other nations had instead of how God had said in his law, this is what, in fact, he tells Samuel to tell them, if you get this king, this is what he's going to do. He's going to take this and take this and take this and so forth, and uh, which is what happens. Um, Solomon actually breaks all the rules here that uh, that he <laughs> yeah. requires of the king and so forth. But um, but you have David, who was a man after God's own heart, and starts a godly line that eventually results in the king, uh, who is Jesus himself. So we know that we always know that it's part of God's plan for Jesus to be king and to be the king of his people. We know that uh, it's a desire to create this line of kings. So it's not that he is outside of it, but notice he takes the king kingdom away from Saul and his line and then gives it to this other house, that God does that. The people wanted a king, and God gave them the king they wanted, and that was Saul. That's the king they wanted to deliver them from the Philistines, even though he had another means to deliver them from the Philistines. See, So so that's what he was upset over, that they had rejected God and what God wanted and sought what they wanted, and God gave them what they, what they were looking for, and, and so forth. And, and then there were consequences as a result of that. Um, both in, in the life of Samuel, both life in the life of Samuel and the life of Saul and the life of the Israel and so forth. Everybody, um, some suffered because the, the mistakes they made, uh, and others uh, suffered um, for other reasons. Um, so, um, the um, the um, yeah, so that's that one. The other one is more complicated uh, because it just. Um, <laughs> it's just sometimes I read passages and I'm like, wow, that just doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound like something God would say and so forth. But he says, when you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God's hands, uh, hands them over to you and you take some of them prisoner. And if you see a beautiful woman among the captives, desire her and want to take her as your wife, you are to bring her into your house. She is to shave her head, trim her nails, remove the clothes she was wearing when she was taken prisoner, live in your house. And mourn for her father and mother a full month. After that, you may have sexual relations with her and be her husband, and she will be your wife. Then, if you are not satisfied with her, you are to let her go to where she wants, but you must not sell her or treat her as merchandise because you have humiliated her. Um, Wow, tough. Mm. Yeah, it, this is what's important to understand in this passage. This is not God saying, this is what I want you to do. This is God saying, if you do this, 
this is what you must do if you do this. And, and and there's a difference between those two things. It's kind of like when when the Jesus was Jesus pointed this out for us when they said uh, Moses told us we could get divorced. He's like, no, Moses didn't tell you that divorce was good. He's saying if you get divorced, this is how you do it. This is how you should handle it. And he's saying he's only doing that because of the hardness of your hearts and the sin that's in there. And it's kind of like when this when you sin in this way. Here is what you need to do to not make it even more grievous than it already is. And it, the th- the important thing to understand here is he does say that he does not support intermarrying with the Canaanites. He does not prohibit intermarriage with foreign peoples. Like when Moses, uh, Mar- you know, Miriam was un- un- unhappy with Moses marrying someone of a different race. And so it was, so it's not... God never says that those things are wrong, that there, there's a plan to, but um, but at the same time, they are not to, um, there are some, like like when he gets to Ezra, we see here they are to put their foreign wives away from him, and you're like, so what's the difference? What's happening there? Well, the only thing we can infer there is that the foreign wives still were embracing the idolatrous culture that they came from. It's one thing for you to say, I'm found this woman and now she's a part of my home and she chooses to be a part of my home and worship my God and follow our teachings. It's another thing for her to say, I'm not going to follow those teachings. And that's kind of what's inferred there where he says, um, if you're not satisfied with her, you'll let her go where she wants. So meaning if she doesn't want to follow, then let her go. Paul kind of alludes to that in 1 Corinthians 7, where he says, if you, if you have an unsaved spouse and they desire not to follow and leave you, then you let them go, and and it's kind of looking at this same principle here, in that you are not to try to keep a person and force them to follow. You're not trying to. He's not. He's saying you can't make them a slave, and you can't treat them like a slave. You can't. Uh, uh, but they do need to become. Um, you need to do right by their family and and so forth. Uh, and I think that's why he throws in the term. Uh, if you see a beautiful woman. I think he's saying, if you are overwhelmed by whatever you're doing, I mean, I mean, just think about, here's the courses of action. A guy is out in war, sees a beautiful woman, takes her to be his wife. Uh, do you kill him? You know, is it punishable by death? And God's saying, no, it's not punishable by death, but here's what you should do. If you do, if you, if you do this, and I'm not saying that you should, but if you do, then here's how you handle this scenario. And and we actually have several of those things, scenarios throughout the, the law where God's like, uh, if this happens, then here's how you handle this. And if this happens, then here's how you handle this. And um, and yeah, it's, sometimes it's it doesn't make good sense, but it's like you are, that's why we say when we look at the law, a lot of those things are societal norms, not what God is saying, this is how I want my people to be. It's just like here's you're dealing with people who are you're not talking about a church, you're talking about a nation, and so it would be you're kind of looking at it akin to our own laws, and you know like we have our own society and govern, and God is just saying here's here's how you would handle these things in these situations because um, this situation is going to arise, and here's how you handle it. Um, but um, the um, it, it, and basically he's just throwing a humanitarian element into something that would have been very barbaric otherwise. And so it's, and, and, and actually, if you look at cultures in this period of time, 
is kind of unique in that way. Most nations didn't have rules for such things and would be much more barbaric, barbaric in the way they'd handle it. And so there's a much more humanitarian tone than other people are handling things. Um, we have been influenced greatly through Judeo-Christian values. I mean, we, we are people, we, are, we have nations who were really grounded in the teachings of the church, uh, which are far beyond where they were at this particular time and should be because we have the revelation of Jesus himself, you know, and called and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that's governing us and guiding us, things that were absent in this period of time. And so, yeah, we should, it should not, it should not reflect the way the church operates. It reflects the way a nation operated under those circumstances and, and those guidelines and rules. So, yeah. So it's a great question though. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough deal. And I suppose her changing her appearance, it's kind of like starting over, like yeah. you're kind of born into our beliefs yeah. and our, yeah. Yeah, and it was, um, this was a, um, it was, it's kind of like, there weren't a lot of women's rights at this particular time, um, very few rights of a woman, and her ability to survive was based on the care of her husband, and so God had very specific rules to make sure that women were taken care of, um, widows were taken care of, orphans were taken care of, and, and throughout you know, we look at it from, in contrast to our own societal norms, you more look at it in contrast to the societal norms of the day. And to say God is really injecting his heart into it, saying, hey, you take care of these people. Do not treat them in this way, and so forth. Whereas you had, uh, where you have people who are starving to death and just cast aside, he's trying to end that. Um, and he's speaking to a fallen people in a fallen world. And so it's, it's yeah, it's, that's why it looks bad. because. Um, you know, it's kind of, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but if I, it's hard to do, but if I, if I go into a prison and I'm dealing with hardened people with hardened acts, the rules I'm going to lay down are going to be very different than with my children at home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I'm understanding where I am and it's like, Hey, no knifing anybody today. I don't <laughs> have that rule in my house. <laughs> you know, we never, we never brought it up, never said here. And if you do stab somebody, here's what we do. You know, yeah. I never, those are things we didn't cover as a family. But uh, but if you're in a culture where people get stabbed a lot, then that's what you do. So I guess sometimes that is my hang up because I'm not thinking of them as a nation. Right. I'm thinking of them as a holy God's people. Chosen. Yeah. 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 But they but, were not. No, they yeah. were not. And they were more people. pagan than righteous and right. and more polytheistic than monotheistic. God was calling them out of that. Right. And trying to help them to move them toward life, but they had a long way to go. I mean, Sam, Sam, Sam's is a great example. Samson is so oh, messed up. Yeah, he's <laughs> a judge, and him. God gives him power, yeah. and, and so forth uses him. And, and, but that's because they are all messed up. And but he wasn't real bright. Up. I mean, how many times <laughs> did Delilah have to ask him I think he where was, you got your power from? I think and, he was—I actually think he was really bright not to get up <laughs> on Samson. I do. I think he was—I think it just shows that he was toying with her, but she wore him down. Yeah. And that's what the enemy does. He was too confident, yeah, I think. he was— Pretty vain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, confident in his own abilities and forgot that is that it came from God. So, but in this passage, that I do see yeah. the mercy now of God in that He said, "Do marry them, so that they're not just left." I mean, right. he, 
didn't say, yeah, you can have her and then just cast her aside. Yeah, as you want. He's like, no, you're not going to treat people like that. that. You're going to. You're going to have some level of respect and 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 have and hear the provisions for family and hear the provisions for these things. So yeah, okay, good deal. All right, well, thank you, thank you, Judy, for being here today. Very well. You can come every week if you want. Thank just... you. <laughs> I appreciate that offer. We um uh yes, we're excited about the things that are coming ahead and uh, all kinds of great things ahead as we refine the podcast um and uh, refine even the video portion that we released. It's now released on Thursdays. If you're listening to the podcast early on Thursday morning, it's just been loaded, then the video version will be available at noon today on uh, Facebook. So, um, And definitely yeah. stick around for Judges 5 because that's the women's empowerment bum, bum, chapter. Bum, bum. It is. I, the book of Judges is just awesome anyway. I know. Uh, I, I, but I, I, 5 yeah. is yeah. is. Really yeah. good. Joshua's good. I don't take anything from Joshua. I really love the book of Joshua. Joshua but, uh, but Joshua was just... Joshua was like the best of uh, one of the best guys in the old testament so very and if you're a military rightfully person. named yeah rightfully named he is um he is definitely such a solid man of faith and i and this is something that i think is so powerful about joshua it shows the incredible value of investing in leadership uh and and because moses had established himself and went through a lot of pain <laughs> to establish himself joshua didn't have to do that yeah. because Moses took the leadership that he had established and passed it on to the next guy. And I think that is such a worthy lesson to learn for the church. So, uh, But anyway, that's, um, that's all we got for today. We will be back next week on Understanding Jesus.